your goals, your priorities will all revolve around his coming. This promise will drive your faithfulness, your service, your ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. The promise of his coming compels us to be overcomers. Jesus said, overcome and you will eat from the tree of life. Overcome and you will not be harmed by the second death, which is the lake of fire. Overcome and I will give you authority over the nations. Overcome and I will write the name of the city of my God up on you. Overcome and I will grant you the right to sit with me on my throne. We overcome because Jesus is coming back. And these blessings are ours when He comes. Jesus said, I am coming soon. And that is the source of unshakable joy and eager expectation for us. Paul said, we eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said, set your hope completely on the grace that is to be given you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13 says, we are filled with hope as we wait for the glorious return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So why are all of our hopes and dreams so focused on His return? Well, because when Christ comes, everything will be made right. When Christ comes, everything in all of creation will be restored or healed. All injustices will be made right. All our sufferings will be turned to glory. Our bodies and our minds will be resurrected. Our faithfulness and good works will be rewarded way out of proportion. And there will be no more battles with sin and evil. And we will be changed into the perfect likeness of Jesus. And so we long for Him. We long for our pain and fears to be gone. We long for our tears to be gone. We long for glory. And we long to be with Him. Uh, the cry of our hearts is, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Paul said there will be a crown for me and for all who love His appearing. We love Him, and so we love His appearing. 2 Timothy 4.8 How reassuring this promise from Jesus Christ must have been to the Apostle John. He heard these words as he suffered for his faith, exiled, as a prisoner to the island of Patmos, isolated from other believers, and how precious this promise would have sounded to his ears. And how precious the promise of his coming is to us, especially when we suffer. When we suffer any kind or all kinds of disappointments and hurts in this life. When life on earth hurts and disappoints, when we feel we are not at home in this world, the promise of of His coming is so reassuring and so precious. Well, in our passage, first, we are given 
three witnesses to the truthfulness of this book of Revelation. Three witnesses to the truthfulness of Revelation and all that is in it. The first witness is the angel. Verse 6. The angel said to John, These words are trustworthy and true. It is the Lord God who has sent me, his angel, to show you what is going to happen. In other words, the angel verifies that I am God's angel. I am God's messenger. Everything I have shown you and told you is directly from God. The second witness is John, verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. This is not something I heard from anybody else. I personally heard and saw everything recorded in this book. The third witness later on in the chapter is Jesus Christ himself. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. It's... The Lord God's angel, it's Jesus Christ's angel. Jesus sent him, and Jesus proclaiming, this is my true and trustworthy message for the churches. So these three witnesses all testify that everything in this wild book of Revelation is completely trustworthy and true. There will be a global hatred and persecution of Christians. But Babylon will be destroyed. The seven bowls of God's wrath will be poured out. The rider on the white horse will come. Christ will strike down the nations. We will celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. We will live with Christ in a new city on a new earth. We will see its glory and its beauty, and we will never shed a tear or be sad again. God himself will come to dwell with us. And because all this is true, it says, the person who takes the message of Revelation to heart or keeps the message of this book is blessed. Verse 7, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That person, the one who keeps the message or keeps the word, obeys it, honors it, will be blessed because that person will be spared the wrath of God. And that person will share in these unspeakable rewards and blessings that Jesus promised. Next, the angel reminds John that worship is reserved for God alone. Interestingly, in verse 8, John confesses that he made a mistake. He made an error. He made the mistake of falling on his face before or at the feet of the angel. And he was immediately corrected. The angel said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers the prophets, and with all those who keep the words of this book, worship God, not me. The lesson from that experience is simply that ultimately only God should impress us. Only God should really, truly overwhelm us and capture our hearts. 
We don't worship anything or anybody else but our God. We don't worship money or football or any sports or houses or success. We don't worship our kids. We don't worship angels. We don't worship famous pastors or teachers or theologians. We worship only our God. And wouldn't it be something, wouldn't it be something if every time you put something or somebody above God, that thing or that person would speak audibly to you and say, you must not do that. You must not worship me. Worship God. And actually, the Holy Spirit does do that if we will listen to him. He'll speak to us just like this angel spoke to John and said, you must not do that. Stop it. You must worship God alone. Next, we are, to, we are not to ignore these words about Christ's return and the end times. Verse 10, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Or don't keep these things a secret. Don't be silent about these things. These things are to be read and to be proclaimed. All of them. Everything in this book. Proclaim the message of judgment and of hope. Preach the lake of fire and the new Jerusalem. Teach people about Satan's war on the saints and the future blessedness of the saints. Don't be silent about a single part of this revelation. We live in a day when so many pastors are silent about so much of God's word. But John was told, do not seal up any part of this revelation. Make it known. Shout it from the rooftops. Preach it. Proclaim it. Teach it. Next, the time of Christ's coming and the events of the end are closer than people think. Verse 10 says, the time is near. Don't seal up these words, for the time is near. And three times in this passage, Jesus said, I am coming soon. He didn't only say, I am coming. He did say that, but he, every time he said, I am coming soon. Well, that raises an obvious question. Almost 2,000 years have passed or since Jesus ascended from, into heaven. So, in what sense is he coming again soon? There's a lot of speculation, a lot of possible answers, but the clear biblical answer, or the, I would say the clearest biblical answer that I know of to this is from the Apostle Peter. Peter said, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, <laughs> that the day of the Lord, or, or that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, and it will come like a thief. Peter, 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. And somehow I think we just have to, to take it that in God's perspective, the time is near. In light of all the time that has passed 
and all the time that is coming, Jesus is coming soon. In God's prophetic timetable, the coming, Christ, the coming of Christ is the next big event. It's imminent. It's the very next page. It's the next big thing that's going to happen. It's coming soon. You know, one of the hardest things about getting younger people or younger couples to start saving for retirement is that it seems so far away. And when you are young, you can't even imagine getting old. But an older, wiser person will come along and they will say to you, life is so short. Life goes so fast. And that day will be here before you know it. And I can testify that when you turn 65 or 70, which I will here in a few weeks, I guarantee that you're going to say, wow, that came so soon. And I think, I mean, there's many things in life like that. Well, when Christ appears, I think we will say, wow, human history was so short. The time was so short. He came soon. The coming of Christ is soon. Next, there is an urgency to get on the right spiritual trajectory. And I believe that John's uh, reasoning here, or the reasoning here of this revelation from, uh, from the angel, actually directly from God and th- from Jesus through the angel, uh, is because the time is near, because Christ is coming soon, there's an urgency for every single person to get on the right spiritual trajectory. Verse 11, let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. At some point, the path you are on or your spiritual trajectory will become fixed. And this is not saying God doesn't want people to repent. He does. But it is acknowledging that at some point, people continue to be who they are and what they are. People continue to be controlled by the forces that they have given themselves to. As it says in Romans 6, we are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. And you become a slave to either sin or righteousness and that power of sin will carry you in a direction And if you become a slave to righteousness, the power of God's Spirit, the power of righteousness will carry you in a direction of holiness. J.C. Ryle was speaking particularly in reference to people who uh, are going to wait until sometime in the future or maybe wait until just before they die where they're going to then all get right with God at, at that point. But he said this, it really applies to this verse, I think, very powerfully. True repentance is never too late, but late repentance is seldom true. I am afraid in 99 cases out of 100, men die just as they have lived. In other words, those that have lived an evil or filthy life continue in that to death. Those that have lived a righteous and holy life continue in that. Till Christ comes. Don't think 
you are going to start living for Christ someday in the future. Don't think, well, I'll, you know, I'm just going to kind of be, maybe we wouldn't put it this way, but we actually think like this sometimes. I'm going to be sort of noncommittal, sort of on the fence, sort of lukewarm now, but someday I'm going to really get on fire for God. Do not think that way. Today is the day to be filled with Christ. Today is the day to follow Christ. Today is the day to start practicing righteousness and holiness in your life, in your thoughts, in your home, in every area of life. And if there's evil and filth, if you're in any way, shape, or form on that trajectory of evil and filth in your life, today is the day to repent of that and get on the pathway of holiness. Christ is coming, and he's coming soon. Next, when Jesus comes, the righteous will be rewarded and the unrighteous will be punished. Verse 12, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And immediately after saying that he's coming soon and he's going to bring his recompense for each person, he he added this, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning, and the end. In other words, Christ was saying, I was there in the beginning and, and I will be there to wrap it all up in the end. I am the eternal God and coming to bring a just and righteous judgment for all people when I come. Every person who has ever lived is accountable to God. God sees and knows how every person lives. Recompense means a just repayment for good or evil. Paul said, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Those who sow to the Spirit will reap things from the Spirit, a great reward. Those who sow to the flesh will reap a reward or a punishment from that. Those who resist God and His Word will suffer consequences for that. Those who love the Lord and keep His Word will be rewarded, blessed for that. Psalm 58.11 says, Then mankind will say, Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God in heaven who judges on the earth. Next, Entrance into heaven is a unique privilege reserved only for those whose sins are washed away. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. But outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Most people in our culture and even, even in the church, most people talk as if everyone who dies is now in a better place. And so we, just, we say it. People die and we say they're in a better place. That's not true. It is not true. Wicked people will be kept out of the city, out of heaven. 
Verse 15 lists types of people who will not be there. First, dogs. And I know this really troubles some people, but in the Middle East culture, packs of wild dogs roamed the cities. They were dirty and dangerous. And people living in the squalor of sin degrade them to living, in a sense, like dogs. And John's point, or the point here in this passage, is that people who live like that will not be in the New Jerusalem. Sorcerers, those who deal with spirits, spells, and witchcraft will not be in heaven. The sexually immoral will, be, will not be in, in heaven. There is forgiveness with God for every kind of sexual sin by turning to Christ, and we proclaim that loudly and boldly and with uh, praising God for His grace But those who indulge in a lifestyle of sexual immorality without repentance will find themselves outside the gates of heaven, on the wrong side of heaven's gates. What a warning this verse is for our generation. We think so lightly of sex outside of marriage. God does not. Our generation embraces and applauds men having sex with men, women with women, and God says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Murderers, those who take another person's life, there are so many murders taking place in our culture. Our cities are dangerous places now. You know, without God, people's hatred for one another becomes unleashed and uncontrolled. And there's so many murders taking place. And I'm not trying to make this a commentary just on our current cultural events, but I must say, sadly, so many of those murdered today are the unborn or partially born babies. Um, And likewise, I say there is complete forgiveness and cleansing through Jesus Christ for anyone who has had an abortion, but those who practice murder without repentance will not be in the city of God. Idolaters, people devoted to someone or something other than God will not have a right to the city. Believers are those who love God. Romans 8.28 Believers are people who love God and worship God and put Him above everything. They love Him first and foremost. They worship Him first and foremost. There's no other kind of believer I, I, hate, I mean, hate to break that news to you, but there is no other kind of believer. If you're not in that state, repent, turn to him, turn to him, turn your heart toward him, love him and worship him, be devoted to him. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood, in the eyes of Jesus and the apostles, everything God said is true or is truth. Everybody who disagrees with God and anything God has said is loving and practicing falsehood. Cindy had a conversation with someone a while back who claimed to be a Christian or at least was on the road in that direction. And I don't know how the conversation turned to this, but again, brought up one of the current event, the, the current cultural events. And Cindy brought up the, uh, something about what God said about marriage between a man and a woman. And this person said, well, that's where God and I have a disagreement. When you and God have a disagreement, 
God's right, you're wrong, and you are loving what is false. You are loving, you are choosing and loving falsehood when you go against what the Lord God has revealed in his word. Verse 14, only those who have goes on or actually begins this, we're going to come back to the first part of verse 14, only those who have washed their robes will be there. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can clean your robes. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that is sufficient to get rid of the sin and filth in your life. And the blood of Jesus Christ not only uh, cleanses you from the guilt of your sin, it releases you from the power of sin. The blood of Jesus Christ releases you from sin and its power and dominance over your life from, from, from actually sinning. His blood washes you by placing faith in Him or when you place your faith in Him. It is, it is coming to Him. It's a free gift. Later on in this chapter, it says, if you're thirsty for this, if you want this life that we're talking about, if you want to be in the heavenly city, come and drink of the water of life without cost. It's a, it's a free gift to you. But only those who come to Jesus for this washing of their lives, their hearts, their robes, will have the right to the tree of life, which is the right to live forever and the right to enter the city through its gates. In other words, the right to heaven. Ultimately, those are the only rights that should matter to you. I mean, they really are the only rights that matter. The right to the tree of life and the right to enter the city gates. Next, the revelation of Christ's return and all the events that surround it must not be tampered with. This revelation that we call the book of Revelation must not be tampered with. Verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of, this pro- of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy of the book of this prophecy God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book pretty strong warning wouldn't you say this is a specific warning to scribes to teachers and to the church to not take away any of the truths or the warnings or the unusual visions or the severity of the judgments or the stunning descriptions of the new heaven and earth. Not to change any of that. God said, don't dare tamper with what I've revealed through my angel and through Jesus Christ in this book. Now this warning does apply to all of Scripture. It's meant for the, specifically for this book of Revelation and the temptation to tamper with its visions and truths. But it does apply to all of Scripture. And so many people change 
God's word or manipulate God's word to say what they want it to say or to take away the parts that rub up against our culture. And God said that people who do that will forfeit both the tree of life and the city. Finally, uh, our hearts are to respond. Our hearts are to leap at the promise of Christ's coming. Verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, come. The Holy Spirit says, come. And the church, that's us. What do we say? We say, come. Let everyone who hears this say, come. So what is the, our response supposed to be when Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon? We're supposed to say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. The purpose of Revelation is to create a burning love in our hearts for the return of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely, I am coming soon. And so we... So we respond or we pray, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the last prayer in the Bible. It's been called the prayer of all prayers and the prayer to end all prayers. Marshall Siegel said this prayer is layered with heartache and anticipation, with distress and hope, agony, and joy. In other words, this prayer, come Lord Jesus, is born out of a deep longing in our hearts to be delivered from the imperfection and the present heartache and evil of this world. And, but it's not just that. It's not just a cry of agony and and uh, a desire to be delivered from heartache. There is a deep longing in this prayer for the perfect joy of being with Christ and in His kingdom and enjoying Him forever. You know, I, I wondered this week uh, as I saturated my heart in this, in this passage, I wondered what it would take to uh, make us pray this prayer. From our hearts, what would it take? What would it take to put this prayer in your heart? What would it take to make the, to make have this prayer be made a part of your heart cry? I know suffering will and persecution will. Um, often it's it's pain on this earth that awakens us to the hope of Christ's coming and causes us to long for that and to love that. Um, aging and ailing bodies, uh, broken relationships, broken marriages, homes, sad emotions, all move us to cry, come Lord Jesus. Put an end to our pain and to our tears. I think another thing is this, the more that we grow to hate sin, and love righteousness, the more that we will long for Him to come. 
and the more, we, the more that we will cry out, come, Lord Jesus. You know, as Peter said, we long, we long or we look forward to being in the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells. And I think we will pray this prayer more as we grow to love Jesus more. If we, just, if we just grow in knowing and loving God more, we will, we will pray this just as a spontaneous cry of our heart. Come, Lord Jesus. We will love his appearing like Paul said. We, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, because we want to be with him. We, we long for the marriage supper of the Lamb. We long for those banquets and celebrations of heaven that go on forever. We want to see His glory and His power. And so we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Well, we're going to stand right now, and we're, we're actually going to do that. Stand, stand with me now, and I'm, I'm just going to read... This testimony, it says, and he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. And we're going to say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So, here we go. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. And that's, that's how the book of Revelation ends. That's how the, that's how the Bible ends. And that's how the service is going to end. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for revealing these things in, throughout this whole book of Revelation. And we want to be faithful to read and to proclaim and to believe and to take to heart all these things, Lord. And I ask, God, that your Spirit would take your Word and by your power accomplish your desired effect in each and every mind and heart here today.